you get to be 92, your knees and back say, careful. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, three things happened that this morning that brought a memory to mind. James read from Psalms about, I'll not fear because the Lord is at my right hand, and then praying for Linda Steed and her group that the luggage would go fine, and then praying for Gordon. That brought, I don't know why, but I suddenly remembered when we were smuggling Bibles, and we went to Ermelo, Brother Andrew's headquarters, and got the first Tajik New Testaments and the first Uzbek whole Bibles that they wanted smuggled. And there was a man in Uzbekistan named Robert Hedlund. They told us how to hook up with him. So we had no trouble getting the Bibles from Helsinki, Finland to Moscow. But then what do we do next? Of all things, they had a fuel shortage and flights were being canceled. And they said, we may be able to fly you someplace, but we can't guarantee we can get you back. And so we were kind of stuck. And then they finally got word to us, we can get you a flight to Almaty. And so we went to Sharon Tavo, the airport. I had this duffel bag full of Bibles on a cart, Gordon walking ahead. And here was the security agent, it was a woman. And she looked at Gordon and said, Oh, you were so beautiful. <laughs> and she was just captured. And while she was enamored with Gordon, I could sneak the contraband by. <laughs> I'll never forget that experience. <laughs> so, um, Susie, you're fortunate to have such a beautiful husband. <laughs> The Sunday night seminar starting in September this year will be on the lesser epistles, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. Probably this will extend two semesters into January and February as well. As I have already begun pondering the intricacies of the Greek language behind these epistles, Certain things really do stand out. One is the love of the brethren. And as I was praying Monday for this word today, that kept coming to mind. I thought, Lord, is that just because I'm encountering these in my reading of the epistles? Or is this truly the word for today? Nothing else came. So this morning I believe the Lord wants me to speak on this subject of brotherly love in the local church. Recall when the Jews were testing Jesus, a lawyer came to him and said, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment in the law? They thought they'd have him on that one. <laughs> Without hesitancy, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he didn't stop. He said, then the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang 
all of the law and the prophets. It is the second of these that will be our focus today. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I think we've talked before from this pulpit. I'm not certain. I can't recall for sure. But we talked about the four Greek words that are commonly used in a way that we translate love. First of these is storge. Storge refers to the familial love that exists in a family. Father, son, daughter, so on. The family love. Second word is philia. Philia is the affection that comes to exist between close friends. It's an emotion you don't have to choose to have. It just happens because, in essence, the love that begins to flourish between you. The third word is eros. Eros refers to romantic love, usually involving some kind of sexual enticement, but it too is something that just happens. The fourth word is agape. Agape is a volitional word. It's one you have to choose to express. It also is a word that doesn't always require emotion but it does require something moving in one direction, whether or not anything comes back. It has to be totally unconditional. You see the other three are always going and receiving. You receive something back as you put out from storge and filet and ross. But agape is one directional and unconditional. We quote John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we understand that to mean this is how intensely he loved. But that's not what the Greek says at all. The Greek reads, And it says this, For in this manner God loved the world. Here's how he did it. He gave. It speaks of an action not an emotion that is agape. And so this morning as we ponder this question, we truly see filet in this church, don't we? Truly love between brothers. But there are times agape is what is required. This morning I just want to read several scriptures and let them speak to us and from time to time make comment. Romans 12:10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. 1 Peter 1.22 Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. That's pretty strong, isn't it? And here's a more lengthy one from 2 Peter 1, 4 to 8. We have to read the entire passage to get the full sense of it. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. Isn't that something? I want to be a partaker of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. 
and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, and here's the apex, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of that, that whole list, and finally the apex, the apex, the one you're moving upward toward is the love of the brethren. That passage reminds me of a writing of Tertullian. Tertullian was born in 115, died shortly after 200. He was a leader in the church in Carthage, and this is a time in which Christianity was being persecuted throughout the entire Roman Empire. All kinds of slander was being spread. They said Christians practice cannibalism because they talked about in the church for taking the body and blood of Jesus. Other lies were being told. Tertullian wrote a very, very long apology, a treatise really, to send to the emperor to say here's what Christianity really is. Chapter 29, here's what he wrote. But it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand on us. They say, see how they love one another. They themselves are animated by mutual hatred and how they're ready to die for one another. They themselves would rather put to death. They are wroth with us too because we call each other brethren for no other reason as I think than because among themselves names of such consanguinity are assumed at a mere pretense of affection. But in us it is true. See how they love one another. Isn't that a wonderful way to be viewed? I believe in this church it is. I thank God for the love in this church. Another important passage, Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Sometimes we hear word of faith teachers saying, you know, if you really feel sorrow, if you're grieving, that's sin. God's in charge of everything. If you really had faith, you wouldn't have that. You wouldn't have that feeling. Besides that, real men don't weep. <laughs> but you know, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Here's the scene. He'd arrived in Bethany, the home of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. Three days before his arrival, Lazarus had died. His body was in the tomb and decaying. And when Jesus arrived, Martha, oh brother, if you had not hear my if you'd been here, my brother had not died, and Jesus, he'll live again. Then Mary came just weeping profusely. And Jesus said, show me where you've laid them. And they took him to the tomb. 
And at the tomb, there's a group of people mourning and weeping and wailing in sorrow. And Jesus, seeing the great grief that these were suffering, out of empathy for them, he began to weep. Another time was in the triumphal entry as Christ was proceeding toward Jerusalem, riding on a donkey and disciples with him. And he came to the brow of Mount of Olives and paused and looked down toward Jerusalem. He saw the glistening temple and pouring out of Jerusalem, a whole group of people praising him, throwing coats on the road so his donkey would have a carpet, waving palm trees, celebrating... In the midst of that triumph, Jesus wept. As he looked down upon Jerusalem, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times would I have gathered thee unto me as a chick gathers, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing? But you would not. Henceforth, your house is left unto you desolate. And Jesus wept over what the Jews would face because of their rejection of him. Jesus, Jesus wept. When I was grieving so deeply over the death of my wife, so deeply, there's just no relief. In the midst of that, I don't know where this came from, but I encountered this saying, grief is not the sign of weakness. Grief is not the sign of lack of faith. Grief is the price of love. Did you know if you can't make me cry, I don't love you? <laughs> and that's an absolutely truthful thought. Now, Scripture speaks of some things that, as a result of agape love, we'll do. Here's one. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, yet you do not give him what is necessary for his body, what use is that? <laughs> Even so, faith without works is dead, being alone. That's James 2, 15 to 17. Agape will cause me to do what I could when I can. Sometimes you just can't. I've gotten in trouble in the past reaching forward to do when I'm not able to, but when I can... And I see a need, and I have the ability. Agape says, meet it. This church has done such a good job of doing that and caring for people who are struggling and in need. Here's another one on the faithfulness of meeting together. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is a habit of some, 
but encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we go on sinning willfully, after that we have come to a knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but only a fearful waiting of the judgment. Hebrews 10, 24 and 26. Notice this passage says there are three reasons for meeting together besides worshiping God. To stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Number two, to encourage one another in the challenge of navigating life. And number three, to strengthen one another in our commitment to holy living because the devil is going to do everything he can to draw us into willful sin. You know, we have a lot of folks absent today, traveling. I know where most of them are. But here's an interesting truth. Occupied seats on Sunday morning encourage. Empty seats discourage. <laughs> it's just a fact. The fact that we can come together on Sunday, just the fact we're together, just the fact that we're together stimulates us to love and good deeds and strengthens us to manage life and, of course, strengthens one another in our commitment to holy living. That's just fact. And those of us here can truly testify to that. You know, sometimes, and I'll not mention any names, sometimes in church we encounter folks that just have personality traits that just annoy us. <laughs> That's a fact. Some time ago when I was pondering this, God gave me this saying, cows moo, horses whinny, dogs bark, jackasses bray, and that person just makes that noise. It's the nature of the beast. It's the nature of the beast. And so, with agape, <laughs> I will not judge, I will not condemn, I will pray for them and say, Jim, get your life in order. <laughs> you remember during the Jesus movement, the song, put your hand in the hand of the man that still the waters, put your hand in the hand of the man that calmed the sea. Take a look at yourself, and you will look at others differently. Put your hands in the hand of the man from Galilee. There's truth in that song, isn't there? Take a look at yourself, and you'll look at others <laughs> differently. There's another truth that I've learned over the years, and that is this. Someone can be my dearest friend, although we disagree on a lot of items. <laughs> One of my dearest friends is a modalist. In other words, he doesn't believe in the Trinity. He says there's just one being, and sometimes that being manifests himself as a father. Sometimes he manifests himself as a son. Sometimes he manifests himself as a Holy Spirit. He's also an ultimate reconciliationist that believe you go to hell to get an attitude adjustment, and then sooner or later everybody will go to heaven. Boy, do I disagree with him on both of those. And I think scripturally I can say so. He came to Christ 
during the latter rain movement. Some latter rain teachers taught that, and he feels like he'd be almost disloyal to his father in the faith if he didn't hold those. And even though we both know we strongly disagree, I don't have a better friend. We share music. We pray for each other. We don't have to agree to be friends and true brothers in Christ. Some things, of course, we have to take an issue, but not those things. And you know, even when we don't feel filet, we can still agape. It doesn't require us to have feelings of affection, but it does require an attitude and a behavior that's positive towards someone. You know, sometimes in romantic, in a marriage, boy, a Ross flies out the window, doesn't it? What's that hateful woman doing today? My, my. <laughs> there can still be agape. My dear wife and I got married when I was 18. She was 17. I was working for the railroad, fully self-supporting. She was working for the telephone company, fully supporting. And God gave us 59 years. But during those 59 years, after quite a while, she began to manifest serious physical problems, underwent several surgeries, one day, Bob and Shirley McWilliams and I sat as the surgeon came and said to us, I don't know what happened. We lost a stitch. She has peritonitis. And then he said, you won't sue me, will you? <laughs> he said, I've been sued once by a Methodist woman preacher. I said, no, we're Christians. We don't sue. And besides, suing wouldn't change her situation. So for six weeks, she did not leave the hospital, and I hardly left the hospital for six weeks. In time, I had to sort of take over oversight of her care. The surgeon said her tissues are so fragile. Don't close the J pouch. The J, there's a tube coming out of the abdomen with fluids, and the J pouch, as it expands, it draws those. He said, just let gravity do that. Nurse would come in at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'd say, remember, don't compress the J-pouch. Out of habit, she would do so. I would have to redo it. Time after time, things like that. I'll tell you something. In those situations with a broken heart, the only way you can show agape is to become mechanical. After she came home, I had to perform medical procedures that were so intimate, I'll not describe them to you. But each time I did it, that was agape. A machine was doing it, but it was agape. And times, times, brothers and sisters, that's where we have to end up. Emotionally, we can't handle it. But as a machine, <laughs> we can still agape. Sometimes I'm by nature a person who is empathetic. Uh, I'll just sympathize, but I don't choose to do so. I'm just made this way. I bear other people's burdens and 
Sometimes it gets so heavy, I can hardly handle it. That's when First Peter 5, 6, and 7 comes into play. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The Holy Spirit, Hagios Pneumatos, in Greek is also at times called the Paraclete. That means the one who is called alongside. Some of our versions render that the helper. Think about this. You're trudging through the snow. You've walked many miles, knowing that at the end of your path, there's a path, there's a cabin with a blazing warm fire. You're cold, you're weary, you get to the place, you just say, I can't go on, I can't take another step. And then out of nowhere, someone appears and puts their arm around your shoulder and says, come on. We can do it. And together, we trudge forward to reach the goal. That is the paraclete, the one who has been called alongside. And when our burdens get to the place we can't bear them, we cry out. The Holy Spirit comes and puts his arm around us and says, let's go on. We can do it. One last word is this. One of Satan's most effective weapons in the church is division. We preached about this before, and I've described the episode in which that was so strongly brought forth to me, but uh, so I'll not mention that today. But it is. One of the most sobering verses in the Bible is in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know, now by the way, this is talking about the local church. Paul starts out in this chapter by saying, you know, I planted, another watered, we're both co-laborers, but he said, I started by building on the foundation of Christ. He goes on and talks about the church, and some in that church had started to stir division. Some are saying, oh, I'm of Apollos. He's a great preacher. Or, oh, yeah, but I'm of Paul. And so on, the church is being divided. And Paul had to rebuke them for that. And individually, Scripture says our bodies are naos, that holy of holies wherein dwells the Holy Spirit. But so is the local church. And here he's speaking of the local church. Context shows that. Do you not know, church, that you are a temple of God? that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that's what you are. Sadly, at TCF, we have three different times had to deal 
with those who were striving in such a way that they were dividing the church. They were trying to force upon the church and take the church down a path of false doctrine. By the way, all three had to do with the worship team. I've been a minister of the gospel now for 70 years, and I don't know how many times I've heard people say, the music department is the war department. <laughs> and I think that's probably because musicians are emotional and can be going down certain paths. But I'll tell you what, if it had not been for solid, sound leadership in this church who would not compromise sound doctrine, this church would have been destroyed by those who were causing division horrible, horrible thing to think about. If they had succeeded, God would get them. <laughs> That's what Paul wrote. A sobering, sobering thing. <sighs> Ephesians 4.27. New American Standard says, do not give the devil an opportunity. To the word Greek there, there's topos. Topos is a place. In other words, don't give the devil one place to stand in your life because if you do, <laughs> it's going to interfere not only with your relationship with God but others. You know, TCF may not be a perfect church, whatever the perfect church might be, but I don't think there's a church anywhere that I know of, and I know churches in 18 different states that more perfectly embodies the love that God wants to exist between brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And this is so well-pleasing to God because it reflects the love that he has for us. I was telling Megan last Sunday that when I first came to TCF, I wasn't a hugger. One thing, real men don't hug men. And the only woman I hugged was my wife. Now, I don't know, I hadn't been here very long, and one of the older sisters in the church took me aside and rebuked me because I wouldn't hug her. <laughs> you know, well, I'm the most hugging hugger you can find now. <laughs> I hug men, carefully hug a woman. It is not implying anything inappropriate. And occasionally plant a kiss on a head. That's just the feeling that comes forth. I think God has transformed me in the right way as a result of the love that exists in this church. I thank God that one of the outstanding traits of this church is prayer. I thank God that another outstanding trait of this church is faithfulness to the truth. And I thank God that another trait of this church is genuine, sincere, non-hypocritical love of the brethren, a gift from him to us. May God's blessing rest upon you, my brother and sister. Amen.